well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you are with us today. On the uh, program, Jim Garrity from National Review will be with us. We'll uh, break down at night three of the Democratic National Convention, which was really the uh, the first time uh, over the course of the week that Democrats brought up gun control. It's always weird to me. I mean, it, 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 you know, for, for some politicians, this is the biggest issue. Uh, but when you start to get into these sort of conventions, they, you know, okay, tonight's going to be the night we talk about climate change. And then this half hour, we're going to talk about this. So uh, night three was gun control. You had uh, Emma Gonzalez from March for Our Lives uh, uh, introing a, a video message about the need for, quote unquote, common sense gun safety reforms. Uh, Gabrielle Giffords uh, gave a, a speech as well. Uh, we'll see if uh, former Vice President Joe Biden actually talks much about gun control during the last night of the uh, DNC on Thursday. Uh, but, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I think that, uh, and we're going to talk about this with Jim Garrity, I, I really do believe that uh, Democrats, uh, particularly the strategists and the campaign advisors, not maybe not even the politicians themselves, but the people who, uh, you know, make a living trying to put Democrats in office, they know that now is not a great time to be talking about all kinds of gun control laws that are aimed at law-abiding legal gun owners and restricting their rights. And that's exactly what the Biden-Harris plan does. From the quote-unquote universal background checks to their uh, so-called assault weapons ban, their ban on quote-unquote large-capacity magazines, uh, red flag laws empowering states to impose gun licensing regimes like the ones in California and in New York State that deny average uh, residents their ability to keep and bear arms. That's what Democrats want to put in place from coast to coast. And I think that is becoming a pretty unpopular position. Not only because of the record number of gun sales that we're seeing around the country, but Americans are looking around at the chaos. They're looking at the rising violent crime rates in many cities. They're hearing Democrats say, well, we need fewer police, not more police. We need uh, to reimagine policing at a time in which they can't seem to get a handle on violent crime. And the idea that, again, you would deprive people of their ability to protect themselves and their families is not really a message that resonates at the moment. But that's just my opinion. What does Jim Garrity from National Review think? Well, easier to talk about it. Jim Garrity, it is good talking with you, sir. Thanks for coming on the program today. Sam, I always enjoy hearing your voice. Well, it has been a while, but uh, I'm glad that you're back. And uh, we've got quite a bit to talk about. Have you actually been working overtime and, and watching all two hours of the uh, broadcast? Well, I guess the one-hour uh, broadcast version of the DNC this week. Yeah, so, you know, I've, I've covered every convention in person since uh, the Republicans in Philadelphia in 2000. And I, you know, I've, I actually, you know, Democrat, Republican, I generally enjoy going there. I like to describe it. It's like, it's like Disneyland for political junkies. It's the only time you get everybody in a party in one city at one time. And every time you turn around, you're tripping, you're bumping into people who, uh, generally are very eager to get for interviews. Um, you know, the entire, I think, 10,000 reporters all in one place. So if, if you're into politics, they're usually great. Obviously, due to the pandemic, uh, I'm not, you know, one, one, this isn't even really happening in Milwaukee. Everybody's right. kind of recording their porches from wherever they are. And it's very different. And if people are one, if people have tuned in to watch any of the past three nights and they've thought it was really boring and uninteresting, 
this is the stuff that usually plays in between the speakers uh, <laughs> at the convention. This is the filler, except now it's all filler, other than much shorter speakers. This, I guess you could say, is a moderate improvement. Uh, I'd say probably everybody's speaking about half the time they usually would if they uh, in an arena with you know lots of people applauding and cheering and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I've watched you know at least the all of the prime time segments starting around eight or nine in, in the, in the uh, evening, and it's kind of stinks, Cam. It's uh, it's not interesting. <laughs> you know, it's not fun to watch. Um, I think we all had a kind of curiosity about what it was going to be like to try to do this under a pandemic when you couldn't have an arena, you couldn't have a ball drop, you couldn't have people within six feet of each other. And there have been some parts that have been okay, like the, the roll call of the states by remote and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Thursday night when all this is over, Ken, <laughs> until the Republicans are next week. Well, you know, it took until night three uh, for Democrats to really bring up gun control. Uh, and, uh, and we saw, you know, Emma Gonzalez narrate a video. Uh, Gabriel Gifford spoke about uh, the need for gun control. It's interesting. I'm looking at a piece right now. This is by uh, Fox's uh, uh, German Lopez, who uh, has an, a Voxplainer, quote unquote, about uh, Joe Biden's gun control plan. But but wonder says the big question is, will Biden's plan really happen? Uh, you know, noting that uh, Congress has not passed a major gun control law since the uh, uh, Clinton gun ban of 1993-1994, the uh, crime bill that Biden signed on to that has become quite problematic uh, as far as the left goes. And and that's kind of where I want to start, Jim, because it's interesting. I mean, it seems to me like there are almost two competing points of view uh, on display at the DNC. So last night it was, we need these gun control laws. We need to have, quote unquote, common sense gun control laws. But all of these laws are aimed at legal gun owners and restricting their rights in the hopes that there'll be some sort of trickle-down effect on on criminals. At the same time, the Democrats have broadly embraced the idea of police reform, uh, in some cases defunding the police. Uh, You even have the far left calling for the abolition of police. And I don't see how those two things go together. I mean, if, if you're in favor of more gun control laws, you are, it seems to me, axiomatically in favor of more policing, because how do those gun control laws get enforced? And what good does it do to put a gun control law on the books if you're not going to actually enforce that law? So can Democrats, first of all, thread that needle between their traditional support for gun control laws versus the uh, the, the the newfound hostility, or at least the now uh, very vocal hostility, towards the idea of policing itself? Can can they thread the needle? No. Next question. No. Um, <laughs> so, in addition to that astute observation of the contradiction, let's also observe that the ticket for the Democrats consists of two Democratic officials. Kamala Harris has come out and proposed all kinds of sweeping gun control proposals that she wanted to do entirely through executive order. And in one of the earlier debates, Joe Biden had said, no, you can't do that. It, it would run up against the Second Amendment. And this brought in a subsequent debate, you know, this is, you know, Biden's objection was brought up. And Kamala Harris kind of laughed it off when he said, no, this is the Constitution. And she said something like, you know, Mr. Vice President, instead of saying, no, we can't, shouldn't we all be saying, yes, we can? <laughs> And it was, you know, I, I don't know if, if people heard a ah in the background, that was Charlie Cook's head exploding. Um, because, you know, like the, the gun control aspect is very, very bad. 
the kind of like the, the denial of the Second Amendment and the constitutional objection is really, really bad. But sort of trying to laugh it off and being cute with mm-hmm. yes, we can. Like that's real. It sets spectacularly intellectually, but that's a refusal to even engage in the the objection. I think the the insufficient is is that Kamala Harris, you know, doesn't care. She she doesn't care if this violates the Constitution. She wants to do what she wants to do. And you know, one of the big themes of this convention and the entire campaign camp is that we've got to stop Trump because he's a dictator and because he just does whatever he wants regardless of what the Constitution says. And I guess the argument from the Kamala Harris's of the world is, well, we need a different dictator who's going to ignore the Constitution and just do whatever he wants. Um, several of my colleagues at National Review have written really good, astute assessments of this. But yeah, then you're on to the second aspect of this, which was, uh, well, we want to make these, we want to take all kinds of guns that are currently legal, make them illegal. Um, I have, there's been only, you know, brief video cameo appearances from, from the Beta O'Rourke. I mean, not quite the blink and you'll miss it, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez style cameo. <laughs> right. That, that was like Brad Pitt in, in Deadpool 2. Like, you really got to pay attention <laughs> to, see, to see her. Um, but the second part, you know, but Beto's, you know, hell yeah, we're going to take your AR-15. There's not a single person in the Democratic Party who has really rebuked and said, no, no, gun confiscation is not, not a good policy. We're not going to go around trying to take away guns from people who have bought them legally. We're not going to be seizing things that you legally own. We're not going to retroactively declare something you legally bought. Like Nobody's really done it. In fact, Biden, when Beto O'Rourke endorsed him, mm-hmm. Biden said something along the lines of, Beto, you're going to help me with this gun control thing or something like that. Um, certainly the implication, if, if Joe Biden objects to anything Beto O'Rourke said, he's hidden it very well. Um, and then just kind of the broader aspect of it. The first two nights of the convention, as I said, Grading on the curve, it's very tough to pull off a convention and make it interesting in these circumstances. And apparently the ratings are just terrible this cycle compared to four years ago. Um, the, 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 the message was Trump's, you know, Trump's bad. Aren't you tired of this America? The pandemic, the economy. Look, there, there's a, there's a very easy, generic, non-specific argument to make against Trump that I think is what has had Joe Biden ahead in the polls. And a lot of that has nothing to do with gun control or climate change, or illegal immigration, or, and, you know, and, and amnesty and things like that. And last night, particularly in that first hour, which was not covered by the, the major network, it was you had to be watching CNN or MSNBC to catch that. Mm-hmm. But there was those, they were beating the drums on the partisan, liberal, progressive, red meat stuff a lot. Actually, I shouldn't use red meat because I'm sure half of them are vegan. Um, but, you know, this, but this, this was a, you know, them going back to the kinds of issues that they would be emphasizing in normal political circumstances. Yeah. And to the extent, and I think that's a mistake. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the takeaway people are going to take from this, because as I said, people aren't really watching. Um, but if I'm a Democratic strategist, I've got the wind at my back. I don't want to get into gun control and these other issues that have backfired and probably were a big factor in, in Donald Trump winning in 2016. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up, because I, I wrote about this at Varian Arms yesterday. So we've got our special session going on in Virginia right now. And there was a lot of speculation when Governor Northam first announced the special session that he was going to try to bring back House Bill 961, which was his gun ban, magazine ban, suppressor ban uh, that failed when four Democrat state senators earlier this year uh, said, no, nope, sorry, we can't sign on to this particular language. Um, he did not do so. Uh, there are no gun control bills that uh, have been filed by Democrats in the special session. 
And it's interesting. I actually looked at uh, the campaign websites for Elaine Luria in Virginia's 2nd Congressional District and Abigail Spanberger in Virginia's 7th Congressional District. Both of them voted for the quote-unquote assault weapons ban while they were in Congress in 2019. These are first-term Democrats. They're uh, uh, you know running in these Republican-leaning districts. So these, I think, are probably the two biggest pickup opportunities in Virginia for Republicans. Neither one of them, both of them have, quote-unquote, gun violence sections on their campaign website. Neither one of them uh, acknowledge or bring up their vote to ban semi-automatic rifles. It's just not a part of their discussion. It's not a part of their conversation. Um, we saw Rasmussen with a poll out last week showing that uh, support for gun control down uh, 12 points from a year ago. It was 64%. That's what they found anyway in August of 2019, down to 52% in August of 2020. There was just a, a YouGov poll out uh, looking at Texas. Uh, you bring up Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke, Jim, according to this YouGov poll, is the least popular Texas politician in the state of Texas. Uh, and I think that that is, you know, there's some, again, this, they're, they're, they're anecdotal uh, data points, but it, I think you're right. I think it's evidence, along with the fact that we've got record number of gun sales going back to March. Uh, you know, gun store owners are telling us about half of their uh, uh, customers are new gun owners. Many of them are women. Um, the support, I think, for gun control is is ebbing right now. And this is the most anti-gun ticket in American political history. So I think I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's smart for them to de-emphasize their support for gun control, but I don't see them backing away from it entirely because it's so much a part of the Democratic agenda. Yeah, I mean, you, you and I would say, I, I can still remember, it might have been my first NRA convention back in, I want to say Pittsburgh, it was like 2010 or so, maybe Charlotte, but Jim Webb spoke. Uh, he's Schuler, uh, Democratic House member for North Carolina. So, right. You still had, uh, Demo members of the Democratic Party in the Congress, in state legislative, the governors, who were pretty open about what they saw as a pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment perspective. And they're pretty much gone now. Mm. And the, the other thing I just kind of would say to, again, it, it, it makes sense that they're not emphasizing them. I think anybody who pays attention to this issue, uh, would, would not believe that they've, you know, had a change of heart on this or that they're any less hostile to the Second Amendment than they used to be. Um, you know, to the extent anybody's even thinking, I was, I was a little surprised that Democrats had that emphasis last night, even if it was just kind of in the first hour. Uh, in fact, I, I noticed that there was a reference to the Pulse nightclub shooting in the gun control segment at the beginning of the, of the, of the program, Cam. I was thinking like, so at the time, the Pulse nightclub shooting was being painted as a homophobia problem. Right. And then those of us who actually paid attention to it said, no, this is an ISIS problem. This is a guy who was radicalized and literally on the phone with the cops said, I pledge myself to Abu Bakir al-Baghdadi. And I, there, was, you know, there was not a question of his motive. You know, maybe he was closeted gay. Apparently, according to his wife at the trial, she said he, he was, he was not even clear that he knew it was a gay club when he went in there. So, you know, so to me, you, know, you look at that, that's an ISIS problem. But it got brought up in the context of being a gun control problem. And if you're a Democrat, I just don't think you want to bring that up. Uh, um, but then kind of there's that general question. I mean, look out your window, people. So, you know, you, people are wearing masks. People are not gathering. They're keeping a six-feet distance from each other. In Arlington, if you get together in groups of more than three, you can get a $100 fine because they don't want people gathering. God knows what Dick Van Patten would do with eight people. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you're in a circumstance. Like, like, that's the problem that's front and center in people's minds. 
And so if any Democrat runs around and says, yes, now's the moment we need to push for guns, what is wrong with you? You know, like it just seems spectacularly ill, uh, ill-considered and kind of tin-eared at a time like this. So my suspicion is, is that, you know, Democrats, if, if Biden and Harris are wise, they will want to try to minimize the amount of time they spend talking about gun control between now and November. Uh, because I think if they do, this is the sort of thing that could change the dynamic of the race. And there are a whole bunch of people who are frustrated with President Trump right now, but they're not on board with the entire Democratic agenda. And, you know, saying after people have seen terrible violence in the cities, the looting and, and, you know, riots and all that kind of stuff, hey, we're going to come and take away your guns. That's probably one of the few things that could make everybody look at that. You know what, Donald Trump, I can live with the crazy Twitter tirades. Yeah. Give, give me all the crazy stuff because at least he's not going to take my guns away. And that's, you know, it's really intriguing. There's some Democrats who don't seem to fully grasp it. I, you know, I, I agree with you. In fact, uh, I was talking to Ed Morrissey from Hot Air. I think this was last week, maybe week before last. There was a, a poll out in uh, Minnesota showing the presidential race neck and neck in Minnesota. And that was close to 2016 mm-hmm. as well. But that was largely because of the drop off in, in votes for uh, the Democrat. I think uh, Ed said Trump gained, I think, like 3000 votes. Uh, over uh, the Republican in 2012, but uh, Hillary Clinton ended up losing like 127,000 votes uh, in Minnesota uh, compared to uh, Democrats in 2012. Um, and, and so, but I mean, this is neck and neck, and this is where you know folks have had a front row seat for months, looking at okay, here's what happens when um, you allow violent criminals to uh, to to run you know amok in the city, and when you don't uh, have a significant law enforcement presence when there are riots and looting, and uh, it doesn't seem to be paying off uh, for Democrats in Minnesota. It looks like you know the the in addition yeah. to the presidential race, the U.S. Senate race is uh, within the margin of error according to this one poll. So I I agree. I mean I think that. Um, it would be wise for the Democrats to downplay their uh, their gun control ideology, uh, but I also think then it's it's incumbent on the Trump campaign uh, and Republicans to bring it up at every possible opportunity and remind voters, hey, listen, they're not talking about it much, but this is what they want to do, and this is what they absolutely will do uh, if they win in November. Jim Garrity with National Review. We're going to leave it there, sir, but I appreciate you joining us. As always, great talking with you today, and Hope we get a chance to do this in person, although maybe socially distanced, uh, at some point in the very near future. Sam, I really look forward to seeing you at least six feet away. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Jim Garrity with us here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Always good catching up with our friend uh, Jim Garrity. All right, let's get to today's Armed citizen story, our uh, good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Now, I, I do want to thank... Uh, G, I'll leave a, I'll, I'll leave him somewhat anonymous for uh, sending me a recidivist report. Uh, G, I did not ignore your uh, email. I think that's actually going to be tomorrow's recidivist report. But I found this story out of Michigan, which um, is worth highlighting. So Ionia man bound over for trial on charges of shooting Portland man. At first, I thought this was an Oregon story, but no, it's from Ionia County, Michigan. The uh, Daily News says that tw- 32-year-old Robert Conley has been bound over for trial for an alleged shooting, even as the victim failed to show up to testify at Monday's preliminary examination. Now, first of all, it's worth noting, if you don't have witness cooperation, then suspects go free. So when we talk about the recidivist report and why sometimes people will get these sweetheart plea deals, in some cases it's because the witness won't testify. And so the prosecutor has to make the the best of a bad situation, and they offer a plea deal so that there's some type of punishment I uh, don't know that that's going to be the ultimate outcome in this case, but it is a little concerning that the uh, 
A victim in this case did not show up to testify, but Robert Conley charged with a variety of offenses, including assault with intent to commit murder, felon in possession of a firearm, felon in possession of ammunition, felony firearm, and being a habitual offender with a fourth offense notice. It's back on July the 9th when Conley allegedly shot 40-year-old Corey Miller at a home in Easton Township, Michigan. Miller was treated at a hospital for the non-life-threatening injury. Conley allegedly fled the area after the shooting was arrested later that same day. Following a uh, traffic stop, the uh, Ionia County Prosecutor Kyle Butler uh, on uh, Monday's preliminary hearing did note that he had offered a plea deal to Conley already. said if Conley would plead uh, to discharge of a fireman at building causing injury, he would only face a 15-year prison sentence along with his other charges, and the habitual offender fourth would be reduced to habitual offender second. Conley declined that plea deal. Uh, and during that preliminary hearing, uh, according to the press, appeared, quote, amused by the court proceedings, scoffing and shaking his head several times while appearing via video from the Ionia County Jail. According to authorities, Conley's criminal record goes back to 2003 and includes, but is not limited to, you ready for this? It's going to take a second. Retail fraud in 2003. All right. Okay. Minor offense. Operating while intoxicated in 2005. Mm, not good, but, you know, it's happened. Larceny in 2006. Operating while intoxicated in 2007. Operating while intoxicated. Third offense. Okay, now we're getting into some problematic areas here. Disorderly conduct. Minor in possession. Domestic violence. All in 2009. Two counts of driving while license suspended. Domestic violence. Second offense in 2010. Receiving and concealing stolen property in 2011. Fleeing and eluding, as well as operating or maintaining a meth lab in 2003. And then multiple cases pending from 2019, including possession of methamphetamine, weapons, uh, felony firearm charges, uh, possession of a, uh, a firearm by a convicted felon, possession of a uh, of ammunition by a convicted felon, as well as absconding or forfeiting bond. The prosecutor actually said, quote, the defendant has one of the longest criminal histories that we have had to deal with in this county. He has very significant charges. The judge agreed, says, uh, yeah, he does have a very long criminal history, one of the longest I've ever seen. Which begs the question, how does a 32-year-old rack up one of the longest criminal histories that a judge and prosecutor have ever seen? And the answer is because Conley has done very little time for any of his crimes. And when there is no punishment, well, that's when you have a suspect who's accused of shooting somebody who laughs at the idea of a plea deal, laughs through his preliminary hearing, because he's under the impression, and it's not a mistaken one, that the criminal justice system typically uh, will give him a light sentence and a slap on the wrist. So there you go. Uh, Ionia County, Michigan, and uh, today's uh, recidivist report, 32-year-old Robert Conley. Our uh, armed citizen story of the day. You ready for this generic headline? I love it. Resident shoots intruder. Yep, not much to go on there. This is from the uh, series Courier in uh, California. Thankfully, the uh, story itself has more details. A uh, 23-year-old Salida man, allegedly intoxicated by alcohol and methamphetamine, rushed to a local hospital over the uh, weekend after he was shot while trying to assault a resident uh, there in uh, Series, California. It was 11.37 p.m. Friday night. Homeowner called 911 to say he was just assaulted and then shot the perpetrator in self-defense inside his garage. Police say that the uh, suspect had first wandered into a home where he jumped into the backyard and then banged on the front door. Homeowners told police that they had no idea who the man was, that he was extremely intoxicated, 
He was causing an argument until he finally walked off. Uh, he walked about a block away, then trespassed onto her front yard. The 26-year-old homeowner saw the uh, guy via security cameras. Uh, he was in fear of the suspect gaining access to his home where his elderly parents and siblings live. His dogs are barking frantically. Said he armed himself with a handgun and flashlight. First asked the man if he was okay, and that's when the suspect charged the homeowner. The intruder began assaulting him, put him in a headlock while moving inside of the garage. In fear of his life, the homeowner said he fired one round in the man's abdomen while still in the headlock. Suspect has uh, been since treated and released, uncooperative with police, uh, would not answer questions. The uh, shooting is still under investigation will be forwarded to the Stanislaus County DA's office for review. When they say that the guy was treated and released, I'm not sure if that means like released from the hospital. Kind of sounds like he was already released from jail, despite the fact that he was uncooperative and didn't want to talk to police. But uh, we'll look for more details from uh, Ceres, California, and uh, hopefully have more information to give you in the days ahead. Finally, we've got our good deed of the day. We're going to go back to the state of Michigan for this one where a, a deputy saved a 77-year-old grandmother from a house fire in Kalkaska County thanks to uh, the help of the uh, 77-year-old's niece and uh, another firefighter. happened Wednesday morning, about to 10.30 in the morning. Kalaska, or Kalkaska Central Dispatch got a call that someone was trapped in a burning building. Uh, deputy Kyle Beaver from the Kalkaska Sheriff's Office uh, was the first on scene, found a house completely engulfed in smoke and flames, a victim, uh, or a niece of the victim, rather, was uh, outside the residence. She said that uh, her grandmother's still inside the home, told the officer that she had tried to help her grandmother but fell, and then she was overcome by smoke before the deputy could get there. Deputy ended up crawling into the residence, found the victim, pulled her outside. Kokoska officer Scott Clarkton arrived on scene and began performing CPR on the woman until uh, EMS arrived. Victim was taken to a local health center, later transferred to a Grand Rapids, Michigan. Officer, uh, Deputy, excuse me, Deputy Beaver treated at the scene uh, for a smoke inhalation, treated and released, thankfully. Uh, and it looks like, at last report, that uh, 77-year-old woman pulled from that burning home by uh, Kalkaska Sheriff's Deputy Kyle Beaver is going to be okay. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Deputy Beaver, we thank you for your very, very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We'll uh, likely be talking at least a little bit about the final evening of the DNC on tomorrow's program. So watch that if you want, but uh, at least tune in for this tomorrow and we'll uh, tell you all that you need to know. Uh, in the meantime, thank you as always for being a part of the program. You can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you never miss an episode of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. You can also subscribe via uh, Apple or uh, you know Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your, uh, your your favorite podcast. You can find Bearing Arms Cam and Company there as well. In the meantime, until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. <laughs>